0: As a small business owner, I've had my share of accounting, tax, bank feed, and app issues. Some could say I'm a mess, kind of like some of your clients. But as I reflect on the last three years of my business, the one app that I've had not any problems with is OnPay. It's been set it and forget it payroll. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode.
1: The conversation that I'm sure most of you are having is too many people are pricing themselves too low and not really considering how much their services are worth. And so it's not uncommon for me to have conversations with firms where the first thing that we're addressing is that their pricing hasn't been changing. It needs to be increased. They're not valuing their services correctly. And so I would say more than the average is typically a pricing issue.
2: Hello and welcome to the Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver and I'm David Leary and we're joined today by a special guest, Roger Connect. Hey
1: Roger. Hey, Roger. Pleasure to be here. This is going to be great.
0: And Blake, I'm actually at the OnPay offices, so I got you some swag. I'm actually in Atlanta at OnPay. It's not the fake OnPay studio. It's the real OnPay studio this week. That's great. Roger, welcome to the
2: show. Pleasure. Roger is the president of Universal Accounting Center, a post-secondary school for accounting professionals. And Roger has helped thousands of business owners work on their businesses to increase revenue, improve profits, and build value. You have your own podcast, Roger, Building the Premier Accounting Firm. What's that about?
1: We basically address various things that business owners of bookkeeping, accounting, and tax firms need to consider as they're running their business, training their staff, finding new clients, and most importantly, retaining and working with their clients.
2: And universal accounting, here in your bio, it says post-secondary school for accounting
1: professionals. What What does that mean? So. Different than what you might imagine, it's not just a single program or offering that we provide. We're registered with the state of Utah, where our corporate headquarters are, as a post-secondary school. So just as you would expect to go get like a CDL license, your your cosmetology license, we work with individuals that have their degrees, typically in accounting and bookkeeping. Uh, they have their two-year, four-year degree, let's say CPAs, and they're wanting to specialize in small business accounting procedures. So we have a variety of curriculums to help individuals start their businesses, offer those services train their staff. We work with about a third of the people that are non accounting professionals by education. So they've had experience in trade, and they want to get maybe certified. And so we provide a pathway for that. We work with a lot of CPAs, enrolled agents that want to get into running their own practice. And so we're helping them transition into the small business spectrum and learn marketing, selling techniques, pricing techniques for them to start and build their businesses.
2: Well, that's great, because I didn't learn any of that in school when I went back for accounting to get my CPA. So it's great. Yeah, it's great. You're out there providing that resource to people. So, David, we got so much to talk about this week in the news. We have Markham getting fined by the SEC. They're going to pay $10 million in fines for widespread failures in their audits. Uh, We've got Hunter Biden pleading guilty to misdemeanors that involve failure to pay his taxes. The son of the president didn't pay his taxes. CPA Ontario and CPA Quebec leaving the CPA Canada Alliance. What about
0: you, David? Remember a month ago, I talked about the, uh, the accounting error that gave the war in Ukraine war money? Well, apparently they found some more money. <laughs> they, oh, yeah, yeah. They updated the, There's even more available now. So it went from, they thought they had $3 billion, but maybe it's closer
1: to like $6 billion that's available. The Pentagon so now found Congress, they, billions and billions of money. dollars. Yeah. Sounds like a rounding error. Yeah,
2: yeah, right. Well, they still haven't successfully done an audit of the Pentagon ever. So, I mean, it doesn't surprise me.
1: Well, if I remember right bef- right before 9-11 on 9-10, there was, a, I think, a trillion dollars that were unaccounted for. So there you go. What should we start with? Should we start with this Hunter Biden thing? I didn't hear I anything
2: mean,
0: about this, so I'm fascinated. Uh,
2: all right. Well, okay. So Hunter Biden has been under investigation forever. I mean, have you've heard about this, David, right? I mean, this the whole Hunter Biden investigation for like five years has been going yeah, on. Yeah, the laptops and uh, the
0: money, yeah. questionable money. Yeah, I've heard about lots of these things, right. yes.
2: So, you know, for our listeners abroad, Hunter Biden is the son of U.S. President Joe Biden, and he is going to plead guilty to two federal misdemeanor counts of failing to pay his taxes. The plea agreement with the U.S. Attorney for Delaware includes a provision for probation for Biden, meaning he is unlikely to face jail time. The agreement also includes a gun possession charge that will likely be dismissed if certain conditions are met. This is a decision by a Trump-appointed U.S. attorney, And it indicates an end to the five-year investigation into Hunter Biden's conduct. The resolution suggests that prosecutors did not find cause to file charges related to Biden's dealings with foreign entities or other wrongdoing. So, two misdemeanor counts of failing to pay his taxes, and then one on a gun possession charge. And what I didn't mention is the fact that Hunter Biden had a drug problem for years and years and years, and apparently, during these years when he had a drug problem, he didn't f- pay his taxes for two years. And I was like thinking about this, and I'm trying to imagine like how that happened, because the guy was making like a million dollars a year. So we know he had an accountant, right? Like he he had. I don't know that we know that he, he's not filing his taxes on TurboTax, right? So <laughs> I I hope not. So the question for me is like, was like. Who Who is the, you know, CPA doing the taxes? And then was he like trying to call Hunter Biden? And then the guy was like just not responding and eventually they gave up?
0: I, you know, like that, I, I'm trying to figure out like how does that even happen? So can you clarify me? Is this just like, oh, he didn't file taxes because he just was busy? He had, he had very valid W-2s and proof of income? Or is this like, we don't know where his income came from and that's why he didn't <laughs> file taxes? It's It's unclear. It's unclear. Okay.
2: I, I was curious um, about the charge because, of course, the the complaint from the, uh, I the folks on the right uh, is that you know Hunter Biden's getting the he's getting off easy. He's not going to jail. He's not going to serve jail time. He's just pleading guilty. It's misdemeanors. And so I looked up you know what exactly he's pleading to, which is the failure to pay, and failure to pay your taxes, you know, that often gets a lot of people in trouble and gets them jail time. I mean, it's the classic, uh, you know, mobster, way to get mobsters in jail, right? You don't actually get them for the crimes uh, that they committed with, you know, alcohol or drugs. It's with failing to pay your taxes, right? Um, who is the famous guy? Uh, Al Capone, right? Al
1: Capone, racketeering.
2: Yeah, right. So um, I, I looked up, you know, and I was curious, like, when when is this a felony versus a misdemeanor? I, I didn't really get a good answer. It seems like Failing to pay or failing to file your taxes can be a felony if they want to make it a felony. And it can be a misdemeanor if the prosecutor wants to make it a misdemeanor.
1: That's all I know. I'd be curious what any of the tax resolution specialists that may be listening would want to contribute here. Because on a regular basis, they're representing their clientele before the IRS to try and get such resolutions. And I would be just curious, is this a abnormal... Uh, not traditional favorable thing that Hunter's getting out of this situation? Or is this a typical resolution that someone could expect if they likewise didn't pay their taxes for two years? I know there's devils in the details, but uh, at the same time, I'd just be curious what some of our tax resolution specialists might think of the whole situation. Yeah, I'd be
2: curious as well. I did read that it's very uncommon for this to be prosecuted Mm -hmm. as a felony. Uh, There's only a few hundred of those cases in the whole country every year where it's prosecuted as a felony. So, I think it, it sounds like if you come clean and you make a deal, you're going to get the misdemeanor and you pay your past due taxes and you pay your pine, fines and your penalties and all that. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I think, think the, uh, NFL I linebacker uh, Bill Romanowski was like, a, I think he used to be for the, uh, the Raiders and he moved over to the Denver Broncos. And he apparently, this, this broke this week that the government's suing him for $15.3 million in back taxes. Apparently, he had a nutrition company and they just like used that bank account to like pay for their kids' apartments and just use this money for years and years and years and obviously do not pay income on it. But there's nothing in this news article, even though the Department of Justice is going after them, that there's going to be criminal charges, right? They're just going after them for the money, right? And so you're right, mm-hmm. like there may not, you know, here's another case where it doesn't seem like they're putting anybody in jail over it.
2: Yeah, I think the key is don't, don't go to trial,
0: right? <laughs> yeah,
1: resolution.
0: <laughs>
2: right, you go to trial and you lose, then you're going to jail. Well, since we're on the government beat, David, let's talk about this accounting mistake that caused the Pentagon to overestimate the cost of weapons sent to Ukraine by six point two billion dollars. So now we get to send more without having to do another authorization through Congress. So yeah,
0: because I guess it's just, it's just the book value of those jets, right? <laughs> like, oh, those jets aren't really forty million dollars; they're only worth sixteen million, twenty million, or twenty. Well, yeah.
2: So, and it's not jets, right? Because I think that's the one thing we've refused to yet. send them yet. Yet yep. yep. is we, we're sending rockets and drones and all that stuff but and bombs but or whatever but we're not sending munitions but we're not sending jets but yeah
1: javelins and so forth
2: yeah but so this is this is fascinating right the accounting explanation for this i think the public generally misses is the pentagon when they came up with the number to, so so we're not we're not shipping new equipment to ukraine we're giving them the old stuff and this is what we always do when we supply other countries right we give them our old inventory And uh, they make use of it. And then we get to go buy new inventory from all our defense contractors who are really happy because now we're placing a bunch of orders, right? Yeah,
1: that's referred to as the military-industrial complex (laughs) if you want to get down and dirty. So there you go.
2: So apparently what happened is that the Pentagon, in tallying up the value of everything we've been shipping over to Ukraine from our inventory, used replacement cost instead of net book value. And so when they adjusted for net book value – because of depreciation. That's where it's gonna go. <laughs> they they realized that they overestimated they over Yeah, they overestimated the cost of the equipment, so now we can send more equipment.
0: And to, they did it two years in a row. So it was two point six uh, billion for fiscal year twenty two, three point six billion for fiscal year twenty three, and that's how you get your six point two billion. And they said it's great because this is going to mitigate the need for Congress to pass additional legislation to spend more money. <laughs> but like thinking about this, this it doesn't really make sense, right?
2: Because we're going to end up paying the replacement costs of all this equipment.
0: So, well, so, they can dip into the IRS budget now on that. Remember, if you're short, you can dip into the IRS, part of the, <laughs> the um, debt ceiling agreement now. I guess so. This is just a game. You're, it's, it's a game, and you're right. Us in the accounting world are like, yeah, this is a game. But for most people, like, they're not going to understand this, and it's, 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 this is a scam at some level. Right, it's, it's it's they're playing you. games with these m- numbers. They're playing it's, games.
2: It's it's an accounting trick. Yeah, right. That's that's what it is. And and I wonder, like in the in the law or in this, like under the authorization that the Pentagon has to send equipment to Ukraine, does it define what accounting to use? Does it say you have to use replacement cost or book value, or is it just vague and they can do whatever they want? And if if so, that's kind of clever what they're doing, I suppose, from an accounting standpoint.
0: And it's still confusing how they figure out the valuation. Because is there a, an aftermarket to resell this into? Like, I don't none of it makes any sense. Like, why don't they just value it at a dollar? And be like, hey, look We have hundreds of billions of left. Right.
2: Out. Uh so Roger, I got a question for you. Um yeah. who do you think would win in a cage match? Elon Musk or Mark
1: Zuckerberg? <laughs> I've seen this. Yeah. And I saw something that said, no, this is legit. Yeah. Um Well, it made the Wall somehow. Street Journal. So <laughs> So if I remember correct, uh Zuckerberg is like into into jujitsu. Yes. So, and I understand he's good at jujitsu, and Joe Rogan is big into jujitsu. So I'm going to assume, assume that there's some favorability there. I don't know if Musk has any formal training. So I'm going to I don't wager, but I'm going to lean towards uh, Zuckerberg. So there you go.
2: Yeah, I think I got to go with you on Zuckerberg. Musk is notoriously uh, unathletic. And,
0: didn't he have to get in street fights as a teenager, though? He said, or is this made up? Um, I, I in South Africa
2: at the what the emerald mines his his father owned or something. I don't know, but um, I just love this uh, picture by the way on the screen. The Wall Street <laughs> Journal article has, um, it, it's it's Zuckerberg's head and and Musk's head on the Rock'em Sock'em robot game, and they're like punching each other
1: in the face. So. So I've huh. got to ask, do you think one of them just needs money and they want a pay-per-view event? I mean, do they <laughs>
2: – it's hard to say. I don't think any, either of them really need money. Right, I'm now. kidding on that. Yeah. I'm,
1: I'm just <laughs> pay per view. You, you hear about these pay per view event events yeah. that are millions of dollars for people to have access to the actual viewing rights, and uh, they turn into big events when you get those, uh, you know, the boxing matches and so forth. So
2: they could stream them on their, on their uh, own platforms.
1: respective yeah. social media yeah.
0: platforms. Um, so there
1: you go. So I was thinking about this, and like, well,
0: what about like in our own industry? Like, obviously. Brad Smith, he's left into it. He's retired. You have Rod Drury. You know, he's retired from zero, basically. But think about like those types of fights. Should we have had these CEO battles in our own industry? Now, I think Brad oh. Smith would have taken Rob Drury down. He's a black belt. His guns are monstrous. Like you probably would have. But I just make you sure, like, like, are there other battles that are brewing here that we could have CEO fights of different tech companies that
1: we love in our space? Well, you do know there's precedents. There's that YouTuber that went went boxing.
2: Yeah. Um-
1: I- I'm trying to remember his name right now this is this is he the went big into it
2: this is the like this is what's this is everything that's bad about social media right there's a lot of good that's bad about there's a lot of good about social media but this is like this is the worst of it and i can't believe that zuckerberg and musk got like got into this Are, you know like like challenging each other to a fight i mean how childish can you be and that's that's billionaires i'm
0: waiting for our email next week where some accounting podcasters challenging blake to a fight <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's how we're uh, going to settle things nowadays and mark who's paul logan there it is i see yeah. it paul logan thank you mark <laughs> who has
2: joined us for the live stream it was jake logan jake logan, slash yep. logan paul prop probably paul Lo- it's paul logan it yeah. was
0: oh wait we already know the battle here's the fight you have wait see, is it jake in paul
2: or logan paul Yes, thank you, Mark. Thanks, David and Trinity and Heather and Randy for joining us. Randy says, Roger has the best voice in podcasting. Yes. Right, Randy. It's right, so... amazing
0: because he's just using, like, earbuds. It still sounds amazing, yeah. It sounds no, I great. think you've got a real mic, right? right. Oh, yeah. yeah. or it's yeah. off, off screen. Oh,
2: perfect. perfect. Yeah, Roger's got the mic. Screen.
0: Yeah. Professional here. We do have a fight going on, though, in our industry. You kind of led it a little bit here. You said the CPA Canada versus... Ontario and Quebec. So yeah. So uh, Ryan Lazanus,
2: Ryan Lizanis sent this over, and I want to read his message here. He said, "CPA Ontario slash CPA Quebec are terminating their relationship with CPA Canada." I think I'm happy about this. Here's why, plus my <laughs> interpretation: the profession is in trouble right now. Fewer and fewer want to become CPAs. The numbers speak for themselves. We are also less competitive than ever. My feeling is that CPA, Quebec, and Ontario are concerned about the direction of the profession and are going to take matters into their own hands. CPA, Quebec, and Ontario both said the same thing in their communications. They Hmm. need to better support their members as the world evolves. They need a professional body that is innovative, efficient, streamlined, responsive, and nimble in order to attract talent and better prepare them for the future." So So. I wonder if we might see this—well, I guess we don't really have this in the United States because everything's all state-by-state anyway, right? State societies, state boards of accountancy, but I guess we could see maybe some state boards of accountancy severing more of their ties with the National Association of State Boards of Accountancy and doing their own thing. And I mean, we've seen that with Minnesota moving to replace or provide an alternative to the 150-hour requirement with 120 plus two years of experience— going back to that model, that, that bill is in the legislature. They might actually do it. And that would be something kind of akin to this.
0: And isn't Quebec historically, like the Texas of Canada, like they want to secede, like they're, it's the French Canadian part, right? I think in general, they're a little bit more the rebel rousers. They, they don't want to be part of the bigger picture. And so is it some of that, just their nature of rebelling against this? But you're right though. I think this is a bigger trend of possible indications of what could happen in other places, because I think, the talent crisis and the leadership and a lot of these feels broken and Mm -hmm. everybody's doing desperate acts. Um, and then did you see the response from CPA Canada? No. So this is an article, uh, it was actually picked up in Yahoo Finance, so it's just, you know, it's obviously just a press release, and it says, CPA Canada is disappointed and surprised that CPA Ontario and CPA Quebec have decided to sever ties with the national organization, triggering an 18-month withdrawal period in accordance with the terms of the current collaborative agreement. And then they also have another paragraph that was in there that says, we strongly recommend that CPA Ontario and CPA Quebec re-engage with CPA Canada, including all provincial, territorial, and Bermudian bodies, and work with a world-class consolidated uh, conciliator to guide future deliberations. Like they they almost like are, They're now they're just communicating through the press. So obviously the communications are that broken where they're doing the press release things, which is really similar to what the AACPA did with Minnesota, like They were doing letters, public letters back and forth.
2: Right. We'll see what happens. Keep us posted if you're in Canada. Any and you're Canadians listening. in the chat? Let's see. Sauce Boss 18 says, nice, a story from Canada. I'm originally from Quebec actually, but got my CPA license here in the U.S. David is right. Quebec always wants to go its own way and be different than Canada. You're right, David.
0: This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. OnPay is built for accountants. And with 30 plus years of payroll experience, they can be the payroll partner you can always rely on. They offer a dashboard to manage all your clients in one place. And when I say manage, I probably should say balance that fine line between control and delegation. OnPay lets you keep 100% control. You can delegate payroll to someone at your firm or hand off payroll duties to your client. But no matter who runs payroll, OnPay always takes care of all tax payments and filings, even local filings. And with integrations with QuickBooks Online, Xero and QuickBooks Desktop, you can use OnPay across your entire client base regardless of the accounting GL they're using. OnPay's partner program offers free payroll for your firm, discounts or a rev share, and a dedicated support team of in-house payroll experts who will do all the heavy lifting. From setting up your dashboard to adding your clients and their employees, they'll even enter any prior wages to make it easy to switch. If you're looking for a great product with great support to match, check out OnPay. To learn more about switching your clients to the award-winning OnPay payroll and HR, head over to Onpay. That is promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. OnPay, switch to better payroll.
2: All right, shall we talk about Markham? The Securities and Exchange Commission and its audit watchdog, the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, have charged accounting firm Markham with systemic quality control failures and violations of auditing standards related to its work for hundreds of special-purpose acquisition companies, also known as SPACs. Markham, based in New York, has agreed to pay a total of $13 million, $10 million to the SEC and $3 million to the PCAOB, to settle these investigations without admitting or denying the allegations. The firm has been accused of prioritizing revenue over audit quality, especially during the SPAC boom, neglecting standards around audit documentation, risk assessments, audit committee communications, and engagement partner supervision. And as a consequence of the investigation, Markham has been mandated to make structural changes which have never been mandated before by the SEC or PCAOB. They have to put in place a chief quality officer role and an audit committee to oversee its quality control system. So Markham took on hundreds and hundreds of these SPAC audits and did not increase the number of audit partners and quality just dropped. Yeah. They prioritize revenue over quality. And I got to say, I'm not surprised that this happened because that's the whole system. The business model of public accounting firms that do audits is designed to prioritize revenue. Top line revenue is what everyone talks about all the time. And quality quality only matters to the extent that you avoid getting in trouble with regulators. Now, they went way 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 over the line apparently. Like adding hundreds and hundreds of audits and not upping their staffing appropriately. But like th- like this is this is this is not unexpected.
1: So was there any, any uh, indication as to how long this would be going on? Is it a systemic thing that's been happening for five years, 10 years, two years, one year? So
2: this happened in 2020 and 2021. When, okay, two years. When the SPAC rage occurred, when it, when it became super hot to do SPACs. Yeah. So the market saw more than 860 SPACs complete IPOs. From twenty 2020 twenty through twenty twenty one and Markham audited audited nearly half of them. Oh. And I think it's because the Big Four wasn't weren't touching these SPACs because yeah. they, you know, historically SPACs have been something that have been a little bit mm,
0: The Big Four what? had their own audit quality issues. They were dealing with a bunch of other companies. Never mind the SPACs. <laughs> they didn't need to help out with us. <laughs> so so like what was the total fine then? Uh thirteen million dollars. So $13 million, and they were forced to create a new position or whatever, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's very clear. I heard a podcast on uh, Bloomberg's Talking Tax, and they're really talking about you know KPMG's troubles right now because they basically had the bank failures audits, right, for yeah. Silicon Valley Bank. And, and, um, they audited all the banks that failed. Well, the other one, right? Yep. Uh, at First Republic. Or First Republic and the other one. The First uh, Republic sig- did not go under. It was Signature and Silicon Signature, Valley. Signature, Silicon Valley. Yeah. Yeah, those are the two that went under, and they're talking about like a little bit of like, I guess, in my brain, as I'm listening to this, is like, how big of a penalty does it have to be? Because essentially, we're having the same problems they had with Anderson when they broke up Anderson, yeah, 20 years ago. So it's 20 years later, and the same things are still happening. And like, what, how big of a penalty is it going to take? Like, what's 16, what's 13 million dollars? It's not going to accomplish anything. You have to add a position. I mean, they destroyed a whole entire firm and it never improved it. So, yeah,
2: like, what's so, the. So hope? You make a good point, David. Markham US annual revenue is like eight hundred million dollars. Okay. Eight hundred million dollars in twenty twenty one, the fine is thirteen million. So, I mean, it's not immaterial. And probably in this you know, if we if we took the revenue that's just for audit, that's a big amount, right? I don't know. I don't know if it's a big enough fine, but I also don't know if fines are even the solution, when it's the, the business model that encourages this kind of risk taking behavior. Roger, you were shaking
1: your head there. Well, I think there's two things to consider. First of all, the fine is meant to obviously penalize the entity that's done the the egregious thing. So there's that slap on the hand, and it's intended to actually curb future intentions of doing it, It should be enough to say, wow, that was significant, I don't want that to happen again. And then, them change the routine. But it's also a message to everyone else around watching to see, is this worth being worried about? Should I be concerned? And am I going to change my business model because of what I saw happen over here? And the question that I think you're asking is, was the messaging of the $13 million fine significant to, to get everyone else's attention to say, we internally need to address this within our own organizations? And that's where, I don't know if the $13 million is accomplishing that. Is yeah. it too insignificant of a of a fine, not for the entity that's being, uh, fined. It's the messaging to the, to the, uh, profession. Well, and, and were any partners held accountable? Individual. Yeah. yeah, If
2: you don't hold individuals accountable and fine individuals and, you know, like what do what do I fear as a partner at a different audit firm? Like, okay, my firm might end up paying a fine, but if I don't pay the fine, I'll
0: just keep doing what I'm doing. Well, well, who, who just got fined for the exam cheating last week? Which of the big four was that?
2: I think it was, well, I think it was KPMG in Australia that was cheating on the ethics exams.
0: And then they, they it was like a $60 million fine or something. But my understanding is two years before, it was one of the other ones, it might've been UI, they got fined like 30 million because they were, there were some sharing of answers for some of the exams, right? And so now they've doubled it, like going back to Roger's thing, like. And obviously it doesn't debtor how other people are going to do business, right? Like nobody's getting like, Hey, let's make sure our ducks are in order because we don't want to get the next fine. It doesn't seem a $30 million fine was enough to wake up. Well,
2: continuing on with the uh, unethical behavior at large firms, (sighs) PwC in Australia got in big trouble for sharing confidential government plans with their private clients, um, about tax avoidance, Yeah. uh, schemes the australian government was consulting with pwc australia on ways to reduce tax avoidance by multinational corporations the partners at pwc then turned around took that information and gave it to their corporate clients to help them avoid taxes and this all came out and now it's been all over over the news pwc's in big trouble they're under investigation in australia and public opinion has not gone well for pwc there a poll by the Australia Institute, found that 80% of Australians want PWC banned from receiving any further government work due to the tax leak scandal. Mm. The survey found that 45% of respondents believed that the ban should be permanent, while the remainder believed it should be for a period of between two and 10 years. The survey also found that a permanent ban was the most popular response across all voting intentions, so despite political party affiliation. People really don't like this.
1: Well, just to be conversational, I'd be curious on a personal note, the information that was actually shared with their clients, were these loopholes that were legal, that were established by government for them to take advantage of, and they were just passing along the loopholes that existed and were meant to be taken advantage of anyway? Or were they sharing information that was uh, you know, something different? I'm just curious about that.
2: So my understanding is that PwC was consulting with the government on proposed changes to legislation, and that was supposed to be confidential. And they gave that information to their clients.
0: Ah, yeah, they're double dipping. They could get ahead of it. They're double dipping. You know, they're they're yeah. They're, they're yeah. in the government, getting paid by the government, helping them close some tax holes. In the meantime, because they have such deep awareness of them, they're double-dipping in charging yes. of their clients to avoid those. And this is the same thing I think we talked about in Canada. With the um, all the audits of the, the forest and the forest protection, it turns out like they're, they're, they're issuing these reports on deforestation, KPNG was, but they're, so they're getting money from the government over here on this hand, but they're also in the, some committee creating the rules, and they're also auditing the actual... Foresting companies are right, like it's just they're just double and triple dipping, and it's all conflicts.
1: It's all conflicts. That's the right word for it, too. By the way, is conflict.
0: All right, so pivoting away, definitely
1: not fiduciary. Do you want to stay in
0: the the big firms because there's news about BDO, CLA? Like, I I, I was thinking
2: we could save that unless it's burning, David, because we've (laughs) talked enough about the big firms. Let's talk about the small ones because I think most of our listeners are. Small firm owners—they work in small firms. That's what. This is you know. the
0: drama. It sounds exciting. Small firms to create some, some thirty million dollar fines. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Relay. Between Blake and myself, we now have three, four, or maybe five business entities. 20 or so checking accounts, and dozens and dozens of virtual cards. It would be impossible to manage all of this if we weren't using Relay as our small business bank. Relay is truly a part of the tech stack we use to run our businesses. Relay allows Blake and I to each have our own logins, we can grant access to our team, and even our accountant without sharing passwords or two-factor authentication codes. Relay allows us to grow and scale our banking needs without ever going into a physical branch. I recently added an account to receive inbound merchant services with just a few clicks. And had to create a payroll checking account again just a few clicks and i instantly had access to my ach info to give to my payroll provider with relays virtual cards we can issue debit cards to our team around the world for needed business expenses I can instantly spin up a new Visa debit card and set both daily and monthly spending limits. And when a team member doesn't need their card, I can freeze it until they need to use it again. To learn more about using Relay in your firm and with your clients, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo relay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R E L A Y.
2: So I saw this article on Yahoo Finance. I'm a small business owner. How much will a CPA cost me? And David, you and I have been talking on the show about how we tested out TurboTax full service business, and we finished that experiment and it cost us $1,500 to file our LLC tax return with TurboTax business. So I saw this headline and I thought, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if what we paid is in the range what we should have paid. Was it too high? Was it low? In my conversations with many, some CPAs and enrolled agents, tax preparers, uh, some have said it's low, some have said it's high. So it seems like there's a wide range. So anyway, quoted in this article is accounting firm D Mercurio Advisors, a small, they said a small business owner should expect to pay between $1,000 and $1,500 on average to have a CPA firm prepare both their individual and business tax returns. So, David, according to this firm, quoted in Yahoo Finance, we overpaid because we paid $1,500 for just a business return. Well, I've been
0: overpaying a lot the last three years. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Roger, you teach about pricing, right? In your school? I do. Okay. So like, what's your reaction to this? Is is that reasonable uh, between $1,000 and $1,500 on average to have a CPA firm prepare both your individual and business tax returns?
1: Short answer is yes, based on the people that I speak with. Um, the one thing I will kind of temper that with is this. It does change based on that being a national average where you're at metropolitan areas, you're definitely going to be charging uh, a different amount. So the regional or the metropolitan variable there does play into it. If you're actually dealing with specialty services, that'll add to that as well. So I think that's like an average. I think it's a safe number to be throwing around, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if somebody added on another 500 to maybe a thousand dollars more to put into that $2,500 range. So that's at a, at a, Face value, that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. At least it's starting at a thousand and the article didn't say like, yeah, two
0: hundred and fifty dollars. And everybody price price sets off of that. that. I saw this article. You should be charging me two hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. Honestly, the thousands a little little
1: less than what I would have expected. I would have expected something like twelve hundred to fifteen hundred as the lowest. So the thousand's a little bit on the lower end. But when you consider that there's definitely places in rural areas where you do see traditionally these numbers just a little bit less than average, um, it stands to reason. So Depending on your listenership, you could find that uh, somebody up in Montana, somebody in North Dakota, they're going to say, "Oh yeah, that's perfectly fine." But then you talk to somebody in San Francisco, and they're going to be like, "Are you kidding me? This is a 2500 dollars thing." Yeah. So that's what I experience. Yeah, it's it's highly local, you, you, and it depends
2: on yeah if you're in a major metro, if you're in a rural area, it, it's impossible to generalize across the whole country. The U.S. is a big place. Yeah, it is, and just like housing costs vary dramatically. Mm-hmm. Like there's places where you can you know rent a whole house for you know, under $1,000 a month. And then there's places where that's gonna cost you five to 10 times as much,
1: right? Yeah, so, so you basically start with a national average and then with that you start to put in some regional components such as metropolitan specialization. Uh, so the industry components, whether or not there's anything unique going on with the, the service. But as a starting point, that's a national average. Yeah, so so if you, if you look at what Intuit is doing with TurboTax
2: full service, the business returns are $1,500 flat fee. David, do you know what TurboTax full-service individual is? No clue. Uh-huh. TurboTax live full-service. Let's just take a look at the personal price. It says start for free, pay only when you file. Of course, they always say start for free. Probably coming in at 350 400 I bet. Okay, so full-service is mm-hmm. $219 to $409 There you state go. state additional. So let's just say it's like $300 to $500. Mm-hmm. So, basically, eighteen hundred to a thousand to two thousand dollars if you did yeah. TurboTax full service for both individual and your business return. So, Roger,
1: I mean, should should everybody be raising their prices? So that's our minimum. <laughs> well, here's where I was going to go. Uh, the conversation that I'm sure most of you are having is too many people are pricing themselves too low and not really considering how much their services are worth. And so it's not uncommon for me to have conversations with firms where the first thing that we're addressing is that their pricing hasn't been changing. It needs to be increased. They're not valuing their services correctly. And so I would say more than the average is typically a pricing issue. So if this, the average is 1500, that's great. But uh, you're saying that you paid that for just the, uh, filing for the business and they're incorporating their the business and the individual. So it's just a proof and a case for the fact that the people are today in the industry just undervaluing their services and not yeah. charging enough. So maybe a, a 10, 20% increase would be a warranted thing. Absolutely. And I, think I
0: think back to when TurboTax Live start launched and QuickBooks Live launched and like, oh, they're undercutting all my... They're going to undercut me and take all my clients and all this. But one of the first moves Intuit really made was they changed the prices immediately because I think they realized, like, we can't do this for $99. And they just, so, so you're right. Now, maybe the market price what Intuit has is probably pretty close. So if you're below that, you have some room to move up because because yeah, it's yeah. for ETB. Well, you could go to TurboTax, they cost this much. I'm only like $100 more. You have, you have
1: room to move your prices up right now. And if and if I could give Intuit credit, uh, I would basically say they're helping the market because it's causing everyone else that's skittish to raise their prices to basically do so because they can see that the market can demand and expect that. So all of a sudden, these people that are squeamish about whether or not they ought to be charging their clients more, they're realizing their clients are paying this. The businesses around the corner are going to into it and paying this amount. So it does give them that uh, that confidence to perhaps go out there and do that. Or just price themselves a little bit below and say for $1,500, I'll do your individual and your business and you know, be that competitive person in the local market. And if all anyone choice.
2: complains, you just say, hey, you can go have... Into it, TurboTax do it for for more, right? That's yep. that's a great that's a great argument. I'm, I'm giving a you a deal. And very
1: impersonal experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that's where I would
2: go. So I've got a story about online gambling. David, Roger, do either of you, you need to pull in the Bahamas? Well, you don't have to do it in the Bahamas anymore because it's all legal here, right? Like we're every. It's, I feel if you like have every a cell
0: phone you can gamble basically. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So you know we've got we've got major league sports going to Las Vegas which used to be totally untouchable because of the stigma against sports gambling and now we're all like into it we're all on our phones we're all gambling on every game i don't i haven't tried it yet maybe it would get me more into watching I'm sports i'm not
0: mature enough to install a gambling app to my phone so i i, I know my personality enough like, you know, I won't I won't do cocaine. I won't put a gambling app on my phone. There's two things I just know. My personality <laughs> might like too much, so I'm not going to do those things. You know? Well, isn't the gateway drug to all this the fantasy football type thing? I, I
2: guess so. I never got into that, too, because it was, like, too much work. You know? Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't need another full-time job, job. during football season. It's Maybe a lot of work. It's, work, it's you a lot do of work
0: or 20 bucks to make. Yeah. I'll, I'll do it. Either of you do the brackets, though?
2: I'll do a March Madness bracket because that's easy. Yeah, right? okay. You just do Even it fill is. it out. You're done. Too much work. You pick them by the colors of their jerseys, right? Yeah. (laughs) Or randomly. Um, So 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 here's the story here. So the story here is I saw this in the Wall Street Journal. Online sports betters lose more as parlays gain popularity. So parlay bets are these bets where you have to, to win the bet, you have to satisfy multiple conditions. Like my team is going to score X. Points and this receiver is going to score this many touchdowns and something else happens. And you combine all these smaller bets into a bigger bet. And if all these things happen during the game, then you win some amazing amount of money. And it could be, you know, like I put in $50 and I could win thousands and thousands of dollars because it's unlikely that all those things will happen. But it's a way to, you know, bet with a small amount of money and have a potentially big outcome. Right, with the same psychological reason people like playing the lottery, you know, spend yeah. a dollar, you could win a billion dollars, kind of thing. And parlay bets have increased in popularity with betters, and they have been pushed by these online gambling sites so that it's you know one of the one of the top things that you see. You know, they they they're promoting these parlay bets a lot, and. I dug into this article and I wanted to know why, you know, why what the Wall Street Journal wanted to know why is parlay betting getting pushed so hard? And it's because the house makes way more money on parlay bets than they do on, you know, regular bets, like just, you know, who's going to win or as yeah, the margin a point spread. Yeah. And, yep. and there's a lesson in here for accountants. But first, let me tell you the difference because it is a lot. So on a typical straight bet involving single contest, the house's hold rate, meaning their margin, is about 5%. So they keep about 5% of all the money that's bet, and you know, that's their take, right? And the rest goes out back to the Because their,
0: their goal is to keep, if it's for straight bets, a little balance. They want to be perfectly in the middle, perfect equal amount of bets on both sides, and they just take their yeah. 5% VIG, and, and that's it, right?
2: Yeah, which, like, if you think about it, hey, that's pretty reasonable for the house to take, for, given the service they're providing as the, as the bookie. Mm-hmm. Hold rates on parlay bets, on the other hand, offer the house 15 to 25%. Wow. Right? Three to five times the margin. And why is this? Well, it's because bettors can't easily compare parlay bets across betting sites. Right? Uh-huh. Because every parlay bet is unique. So I can't go to one website and see, oh, you know, the payout is is this, and the payout is this. I can't compare. It's apples to oranges. It's not apples to apples. Yeah, you can't compare the spreads on each of the bets. Right. And so that's why all these sites are pushing parlay bets. And so from a sales and marketing perspective of running an accounting firm, or let's say you're in corporate and you're helping your company come up with pricing strategies, this is what you want to do. If you want to have a bigger margin on your services, you don't want to be easily compared to the guy down the street or the other service provider in your area. So you want to create bets or services or prices that are not comparable. So if you're pricing your tax return, like if you're selling a tax return for a price, like a business tax return, and everybody else is selling a business tax return, I can easily price shop. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how do we change the way we price so that it's not easy to compare? And subscription pricing is a great way to do that. And so if I'm, if I'm selling you a subscription to bookkeeping and tax services that costs X dollars per month or quarter a week or whatever it is, you can't compare that to the price somebody's charging for a tax return.
0: Or even just bundling. Even though you're bundling price, like somebody could try to do the math of the two or three separate, but even that's hard, right? Right. Like if you just do one bundled price. That's a better way to say it, David, because that's what a Parley bet is. It's a bundling of multiple bets.
2: Yeah. So when you bundle, you, you, you make it harder to compare. Roger, I'd be curious to know what you think of that and like what you teach in terms of
1: pricing strategy. The way I basically simplify this entire discussion is there's five pricing strategies, and there's more popular ones within this, but it's hourly, flat rate, menu pricing, revenue pricing, and value pricing. Value pricing is that enigma one that a lot of people just have a lot of fun with. But when you go to the menu pricing, menu is by default that bundle pricing that you're talking about. And that's where you're saying pay this. over a period of time and you'll acquire all these services. And so I'm quite a fan of it. In fact, I would dare say I encourage most of my uh, clients to work with two pricing strategies. Typically, it's the hourly and generally it's the menu pricing because that bundle component, you can really kind of create these nice packages that the client is able to kind of determine, okay, what do I really need? you can then take that client and have them just pay over time. So just an example, that $1,500 tax return that you paid for your firm, what we'd want to do is amortize that and just basically take in over the course of months, just have them pay say 100, $150 a month over the course of the year, such that when it came tax time, I didn't have to collect $1,500 from you. Yeah. And in that, in that transaction, I've already secure, secured uh, you as a client. You're not going to go anywhere else because you've been paying me. You don't want to leave that on the table. And at the same time, it gives me an ability to kind of nurture you. So all of a sudden, I'm getting a lot of these best components. I've got the subscription. So I've got the recurring revenue. I've got the client retention. I've got the bundling. So there's a lot of great th- uh, features that come into play there.
2: So you take the 1500 break it up into 12 payments, say $125 a month. But then you you know you could layer on the bookkeeping, the advisory, maybe you increase that 125 a month to
1: 200. Mm-hmm. You know. can also bring into, into it the tax planning component. So not just mm-hmm. the preparation of the return at tax time, but the planning that I'll be meeting with you in the second, third, and fourth quarters to come up with a strategy, see if we can implement the strategy, see at the end of the year if there's any implementations that we need to do before year end. And that tax planning, I've built into that monthly fee as well. So now I'm not doing, say, $125. i am doing $200 a month, and that's reasonable. For $200 a month, yeah. $250, $500 a month, I'm getting tax planning and preparation. Okay. We're we're making sense here. Yeah, if you're rolling apps like oh,
0: and I'll I'll, I'll cover your QuickBooks subscription, your other subscriptions, and mm-hmm. that makes it even harder to figure out the total. I can't. I we've can, talked about this before, uh, and it was to my mind this morning. But Mister Car Wash is based out of Tucson. And I think they're doing seven hundred million dollars in like car wash subscriptions, right? Like so, if they can, if car wash can do a subscription model, everybody should be able to do this. But I just pulled up here in Atlanta, and there's a Mister Car Wash, right? You know, built out. I'm like oh, you know, it's. Okay, like, hey, that's based out of Tucson. And but going back to what you said about this bundling or not being able to compare prices, you drive around your car, you'll see occasionally the nine ninety nine car wash out there or even gas stations, all the gas prices are on the curb. But most of the car washes, the ones that make a lot of money, don't have prices. You pull in and then it's this confusing menu. It's all bundled. Do you want this pack it's all bundling? And you're like, I guess I'll take that package, even though I'm pretty sure the twenty seven dollar package and the twelve ninety nine are the same. It just looks different on the menu. But uh, I can, it's, it's that same thing. That bundle you can't compare prices if they don't put the price out there and it's bundled. Yeah,
2: yeah. I can never figure out like the sealer, the wax, the all the <laughs> all stuff that they spray onto your car. Like, does that do anything? <laughs> I should probably look it up. But you know, it looks
1: pretty though. It's a nice colorful thing coming down on your car while you're driving through.
2: I, I'm just the sucker who ends up signing up for whatever they highlight is, the most popular package. You know, <laughs> that's me. I'm like, okay, decision fatigue. Let's just go. It's called with... groupthink. You're just trusting
1: yeah. the masses. Exactly.
0: This episode of the Cloudy Counting Podcast is sponsored by Helson. Hellsum's full suite of AR payment tools ensures that you have everything you need to streamline your payment processes, be it credit and debit card payments, ACH bank payments, online, or even in-person payments. And since Hellsum is also a platform, it includes a point of sale, a smart terminal, invoicing, subscriptions, virtual terminal, payment pages, e-commerce checkout APIs, and much more. Hellsum also has transparent and honest pricing. They use interchange plus pricing, also known as cost plus pricing or wholesale pricing, ensuring you know exactly what you are paying. Sign up for Hellsum just takes 10 minutes and small businesses that have switched to Hellsum average savings of 22%. On credit card processing fees. Helsum integrates seamlessly with Xero and QuickBooks online, and if you ever need assistance, their five star support team is ready to help you via phone or email. If you're ready to simplify your payment processes, save on processing fees, enjoy top notch support, and feel good about your payments, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash H E L C I M.
2: David, you got anything else? It turned
0: to like AI. Like Yeah, sure. There's, Let's there's talk just, about AI. A, a lot, and, and specifically accounting. So, this is a story uh, firm out of Australia. There's the headline of the article New bookkeeping platform, Friday. I think Friday, but starting with the word Thursday. Right, it's Friday. The right it day. says <laughs> AI is on its way to save you from taxes and accountants. So, I know, Blake, you have a presentation that how AI is going to save accounting. Now, somebody's saying AI is going to save people from accountants. From accountants. so oh, what's so. And so what,
2: what are we I, doing that needs. What do people need to be saved from?
0: Well, <laughs> like, it's going to help. The AI is going to, you know, automate banking, accounting, and tax and eliminate time wasted on financial admin costs. Like, that's kind of what their, their play is. But then, you know, Digits this week announced they have some AI play where they're going to have. Um, they're gonna have like a chat tool, yeah. You know, a, a generative chat tool. But because they uh, they have the math data, now it's gonna be math data, and they're making a claim that. And I'll read this directly from the press release. This allows Digits AI to understand the user's intent and request computations without knowing the data's underlying schema or encryption keys while delivering 100% accurate responses to every request. They're making that claim. And then, I don't know, I actually put the link to the tweet. Um, There's another uh, product that just launched called Puzzle.ai. And this is autonomous accounting. You can, you know, you as a startup won't have to spend money on an accountant. It's going to save you time. Like, I just, like, there's just like, I feel like it's right back to these over claims we're seeing, right? Like, it's just... Well, I don't know, and then I, I also feel like a lot of these per things are just like you're just connecting to a bank feed. It's pulling on data. You're just, which is what QuickBooks and Zero have been doing for a decade. Like to me, it's nothing. There's nothing mind blowing about this, but they're definitely getting all the press right now for this.
2: Yeah, it's just well, I think the problem with these tools is, sure, they might be able to automate coding of transactions, like you said, from the bank feed, ingesting those credit card transactions, bank transactions, but without more context the insights they can deliver are pretty useless. Like a great example is uh, marketing spend. Oh, your marketing spend increased 40% from last month to this month. Okay, great, but that's useless information without context. Like why did it increase? What did we do? What, what did we spend the money on? And the bank feed's not gonna tell you that. I mean, it might tell you that you spent it on Google ads or Facebook ads, or but it's not gonna tell you like what campaigns you ran.
0: And I still subscribe to your belief that like startup accounting is easy. You have you have payroll and you have some expenses on a credit card. You don't have any income. <laughs> like, like pretty much like this, yeah. is, it's super easy to automate that kind of accounting through bank feeds. It's super easy. You have the same spend every month on a credit card for Amazon Web Services and Facebook ads, and it's it's very easy to do this. But I don't think anything real. I don't mean, say real. I'm not I'm not knocking any startups that are not real businesses. But I'm just saying like real companies well, have complicated stuff no, i think handle. you're
2: what you're saying is fair david is that most startups are just looking at burn that's the number every month they look at is how much are we spending and a lot of i think there's like five major categories that you know SaaS spend can be condensed into and so you just agree all the transactions into those five expense categories and you report that to your board and that's all they care about and then all the other stuff is non-financial metrics right the SaaS metrics on like cost to acquire a customer and all that. But like these platforms can't deliver that information. I, I don't know. It's just, it looks cool. And then you go in and you actually start asking questions and you realize like, okay, wh- what's the use of this? What's the utility of this? There's not much. Well,
1: I'm going to jump in on this and yeah. I'm going to be kind of bold. Uh, if you will remember, and I'm going to date myself with this. I believe QuickBooks had a campaign early on that said, if you could write checks, you could do your own books. Yeah. Yeah. And it was helping people transition from Quicken over to QuickBooks. And it was simply saying to the business owner, look, if you can write a check, you can do your own books. And initially, I think the accounting profession was like on on their toes, you know, or should we be scared of this whole thing? In the end, it became a blessing to the accounting profession because the business owner gets in, starts using the platform and soon realizes after three to six months, they've messed up their books. This doesn't make sense. I don't want to do this. And all of a sudden you had people leaving QuickBooks coming out to the accounting profession saying, can you go clean up my books? Can you figure this out? And will you just take care of it for me? And I presume that a lot of these things that are just trying to play the magic AI card are going to fall into the same situations. You'll have startups, you'll have people that are expense sensitive that will actually go ahead and try out the thing because they're early adopters and they just want the sexy little AI thing, but they're going to eventually need as a business, great accounting advice and insights. And that's where they're going to have to turn to the accounting professional and get that perspective because it's, it's... we're not going anywhere with this. I refer to it. And I jokingly say this all the time. We're the second oldest profession. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be around for a long time. We are relevant in business. And, uh, the AI thing, if you embrace it can be a tool that we can utilize as a profession to actually simplify and help us become more efficient, but it's not going to change the relationships that we have with our clients in the sense of necessity. They need us. And yeah. somebody tweeted that, that, you know,
0: 'Cause if you think back, let's, you know things are going very fast, but let's go to the previous generation of these AI plays, right? Let, let you know, let's go to Scale Factor, Bench and Pilot, you know, from okay. you know, a whole two and a half, three years ago. Like if we're going back into counting history here. And those like Scale Factor realized they couldn't do it because they uh they couldn't scale. can't scale the humans and pilot and bench have really started adding a lot more humans to this process like you have to have the humans and the relationship and the people like you like it just and somebody said at the end of the day when somebody has to make a really important business decision or they're facing bankruptcy or whatever it is they want to talk to a human they do not want to talk to an ai type thing and at the so long term can these businesses scale like it's a you know, They probably get excited. They're going, to, they're going to get lots of investment. They have all the buzzwords, right? Oh, look, 160 other founders invested in our company, right? Like they got all the buzzwords, but at the end, like they're going to discover just like everybody else. You have to have humans in this,
1: you know? So I'm going to simplify this and I'm yeah. sure both of you have some great comments on this. I really feel that this breaks down into three areas, and this is how I feel it relates to the accounting profession. The first thing is there are those who want to go into the interfaces, the chat GBTs, the Bards. They want to go in and actually write the prompts and may become great prompt writers. And the results that the AI provides is contingent upon how well the prompts are written. So if you're a great prompt writer, yeah, you can get some excellent insights, but business owners don't want to become prompt writers. And so that's where I think we need to go to the next level, which is all these different tech support things that we have within the accounting uh, wheelhouse, all the tech stack uh, services, all of them are going to integrate into their platforms AI for us. You're going to go to HubDoc or HubSpot. You're going to go to uh, um, finance or finance or Uh, I can't remember the name of it right now. Uh, The point is they're going to integrate these things into the platform so that as accounting professionals, we're able to actually, through what we're already using today, access this powerful tool. And that's going to be wonderful because they're providing for us this interface so that we don't have to become expert prompt writers, but yet we're leveraging the AI experience. But here's where it's going to be really, I think, the the deal breaker for the business owner. What they're looking for is they're going to ask the question, therefore, what? I'm a business owner getting this great insight from the from the accounting software the AI is telling me I need to do certain things in the business because I asked a certain question or it just volunteered a certain bit of information but how do I implement this or who's going to hold me accountable to make sure I follow through and do this. And that's where I think it comes to that real life person, the accounting professional, whether you're considering yourself a CFO, an advisor, accountant, whatever role you're considering yourself as, that's going to be the contingency as to the successful implementation of all of this in the business of our clients.
2: Well said, Roger. And I think that's a great way to leave this episode. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, find out what you're up to, where should they go?
1: Universalaccounting.com. Great bit of information there. Free resources that everyone can take advantage of. Also, the podcast is mentioned as well. Oh, yeah. What's the name of it? Building the Premier Accounting Firm. Find
2: that wherever you listen to Fine podcasts and David. And not only
0: does Roger have that that, that great voice for podcasting, like his photograph of himself that's on his podcast artwork is very like well well done. Like he like it's very attractive on the cover of his artwork. It's
1: a uh, thank you, he, David. I appreciate uh, that. Very very good. Very important. He um, comes
0: out very authoritative too. It's a very yeah very very important. David, where can our listeners follow you? I'm just in all the socials at David Leary. Easy to find. And I am at Blake T
2: Oliver. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Don't forget, you can earn free CPE for listening to this episode with the Earmark app. Learn more at earmarkcpe.com. We'll see you around and uh, hopefully join us live next week. Subscribe to our YouTube. We are the Accounting Podcast on YouTube.
1: Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Time for the classifieds. Is it possible to scale your firm while significantly reducing your workload so you can spend more time with your family? That's what Marie Phillips did when she tripled the revenues of her multi seven-figure firm thanks to Future Firm Accelerate. Designed for busy firm owners, Future Firm Accelerate gives you the system, training, coaching and the community you need to systemize your firm so that you can scale it while working less. The program is built around founder and CPA Ryan Lozanis' six-part Future Firm Framework, which he used to scale and sell his own firm, Zen Accounting, to a major international organization in just five short years. To learn more and join over 700 other modern firm owners scaling their businesses, go to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. That's www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. We don't like uncategorized transactions, but we do like CATs and we love UnCat. Thousands of accountants and bookkeepers have switched from sending spreadsheets of uncategorized transactions to their clients every month to using UnCat. It's easy. UnCat syncs with QuickBooks and gets clients' responses back so fast you can close the books on time, every time. And you're going to love the price. UnCat is just $5 per month per client. And bonus, start a 14-day free trial at uncat.com and they'll send you a $5 Starbucks gift card. Get yours at uncat.com. Are you tired of spending hours manually adjusting your balance sheet and reconciling your accounts every month? Say hello to NetTracker. Automate tedious tasks such as adjustments for depreciation, prepaid expenses, accruals, and deferred revenue. With just a few clicks, selected balance sheet accounts are updated and reconciled. No more stress and hassle every month. NetTracker makes monthly financial reporting a breeze. Try it now with QuickBooks Online, Zero, or Sage Business Cloud and see how much time and energy you can save. www.nettracker.com That's www.nett-tracker.com. Your accounting clients don't want another shiny app they have to log into. They want to be met where they live in their email inbox. FinDaily does just that. FinDaily automates the communication of key financial data by sending it to your client's inbox. Daily. Try FinDaily out for free at findaily.io. That's findaily.io sick of waiting for same-day ACH transfers that stick to bank hours or paying high fees for credit cards? Stop settling with slow payments and say hello to the future of AR with Forwardly, America's first accessible instant payment solution. With Forwardly, accountants in the USA can receive small business payments instantly, 24-7, 365 days a year, manage cash flow, and simplify accounting with automatic reconciliation. With generous partner rewards, ridiculously low fees, and no monthly charge, you can start thinking forwardly at forwardly.com. That's forwardly.com